Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, so we used to have, used to have this big, nice shade tree hanging over our driveway. When we first bought it, it was great. Bought the house, it, it was right there, it was great. It covered our cars just enough that the birds could perch on it and poop right on our driver's side windows and mirrors. And so like, it was a win-win for everybody. Everybody was happy about life at that point, the birds and us. You know, it was a great, great uh, little setup we had going there. Uh, And do you remember last year that we had like in the spring, I think it was mostly in the spring, we had some like really ridiculous storms like the crazy wind and the rain, and it just like lasted for a couple of hours. So we had a couple of those storms and, you know, I'm a new homeowner, so I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, that's probably not good for trees. You know, there's broken branches, whatever, but that was about the extent of my thought. And then one night, I remember it was, uh, I had a small group on Zoom because I was getting ready for the group and I was wondering if my internet was going to stay on the whole time, uh, which is a problem when you're hosting it on uh, Zoom. So I was a little nervous about that aspect of it. And because the storm started raging and it was like 50 mile an hour gusts, it was one of those ones. And like for a long period of time, and it was constant rain for a couple of hours, just pouring down. And so I'm getting set up in our dining room and we have these big windows that look out into our front yard. And all of a sudden, as I'm getting ready, I hear a snap. And I looked out and the wind had come and carried half of that nice big shade tree down across our entire road. And it was snapped in half. That old pretty tree was gone all the way. And I was just like, well... I guess I still have to do group. Hey, Sarah, can you call somebody to deal with this? Uh, And so we did our thing and we got it taken away. And then I called a tree company. I was like, can you come out and take a look and give me an estimate on what it's going to cost to get everything done? So the dude comes out and we're, we're looking at it and he's telling me it'll cost this much for this thing. And then I'm already doing trees in your neighborhood. So I'll do this stuff for free. I was like, yes, thank you. Uh, And I was like, wait, can you look at all the rest of the trees in the yard while you're here? Like, can we do like a full service right now? Because all of a sudden, I'm really insecure about how strong and stable all of the trees are. And we have trees that like dot the property line. And so if one of those fell a different direction, it would hit either our house or our neighbor's house. And neither one is a happy thing, right? So we went around and we looked and he told me what was wrong, what wasn't and all that. And I felt much better about life. But after that tree snapped, all of a sudden I realized that I cared a lot about how resilient our trees were in our yard. It mattered a lot to me. Uh, You know, resilient means capable of withstanding shock without permanent deformation or rupture. Uh, Our tree was not resilient in the least. (laughs) Uh, When shock came, it snapped in half really hard. You know, a couple times this year, I've mentioned a quote that I heard in a podcast with some pastors, thinkers, uh, talking about just the state of the church in America and the West, that sort of a thing. And they said, the church, big C, is in desperate need of more resilient disciples and a genuine move of God, as some would call it revival. And I've mentioned this because I think that it is actually really true. And it's kind of a hard truth, but I think that it's the truth. And because I think that... 
the church does have a resiliency problem. Again, resilient means capable of withstanding shock without permanent deformation or rupture, or tending to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. So when huge wind gusts come, when torrential downpours happen, when life gets hard and our faith gets questioned and our kind of theological expectations aren't lining up with our real lived realities, in those moments, how resilient are we? How easily are we bouncing back when things come and knock us and hit us and push against us? When our faith and our theology seem to be at odds, where are we with Jesus in those moments? You know, when the world shut down and loads of people got sick and loads of people started dying and lots of jobs were taken away or temporarily taken away, whichever way it may have been at the time, when things got really, really difficult, how did the church respond? What was our resiliency during that time that we've just lived through? And I'm not saying this based on our church, but just on the church in America. And this is just on stats based on where people went in the church, people who called themselves churchgoers during that time. I would say that the church was not very resilient over the last two years. The numbers of people who stopped going to church completely who walked away and started following other people, who started doing other things, who changed their habits was fairly high. When life got hard and our expected reality from God, our theology did not feel like it was matching our lived expectation, the reality is that the church in America did not respond particularly well. And there's lots of reasons for that, and I don't have time to go through all of them. But the numbers just say that that's what happened. You know, I think there are two main things that affect our resiliency as Christ followers. And you could have made these up too. These are pretty obvious. Here's the first thing. It's your relationship with Jesus. I'd call that our lived out practice. And the second thing is, again, fairly obvious. It's our understanding of who God is, which I would say is our theology. The two things that affect our resiliency, how deep that we are, how connected that we are, how strongly uh, we are planted, our, our experience, uh, our relationship with Jesus, and our theology, our understanding of who God is. For instance, when someone starts to deconstruct their faith, this is a hot topic. It's in all the newspapers. <laughs> like it, it's out there, people talking about this. Uh, I think that it's about both of these. It's about relationship and it's about theology. Although I will say theology usually gets the front row seat in this conversation. Usually somebody will say something like, I just have a hard time believing that Jesus actually rose from the grave. That's a fair question, right? Like, we can admit that that is a totally fair question. Somebody coming back from the dead. Like, if you told me that you came back from the dead without any proof, I would talk to you nicely and walk you to a certain place. Like, you know, like, this is a really fair, legitimate thing to have a question about, right? To process through. But often underneath those sorts of questions is an equally important question that's not being addressed, that's not being talked about. And it's this, if Jesus is alive, then why aren't I experiencing him? 
Why aren't I encountering him? If Jesus is alive, then why does my relationship with him feel like I'm talking to somebody who's dead or silent or absent? And that is also a very, very reasonable question that needs to be addressed. Theology is the talking point, but equally important and often pushed to the side is our experience of that theology and, or lack of experience, as it may be. It's hard to believe in a relational God when you don't have a relationship with God, right? That's just the reality of it. But there's good news. You can have a relationship with God. I'm not going to end on that point. Uh, both can work together, but it does take a fair amount of intentionality. And resiliency takes a fair amount of intentionality. To line up both of those two things requires us to do a lot of work in our relationship with God and understanding who God is. We're starting a new series today called Growing Deeper, and we're going to talk about theology over the next few weeks, and we're also going to talk about, hopefully, how we can live this out in our regular everyday lives, because again, our understanding of who God is and our lived out experience in relationship with God both matter, and both need to be important and addressed and focused on in our lives. And our prayer in this is that we're going to grow deeper and more resilient in our faith, which I think we all need. Uh, we want to be intentional about our understanding of who God is and intentional about our relationship with God. To start us off today, I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God and this kind of theological cornerstone that we have, especially as the vineyard. It's something that we talk a lot about. This belief that Jesus is the king and that he's broken into our world, and that he's still moving in our world, and that he's doing things that we want to pay attention to, that he speaks, heals, and that he saves today, and that he's got a plan that is a lot longer term than we would have ever known on our own. So we're going to talk about this, but first I want to pray. So will you pray with me? Jesus, I just thank you for this space. I thank you for these people that are here with me today, both online and here in the building. And, and I pray for all of us this morning that we will really, truly encounter you. I pray that our faith will grow as we see the truth of who you are, and that at the same time that our experience of encountering your love, your goodness, your kindness, your patience, that that'll grow because we know that that is who you are and that you're here with us today. So we just say, come Holy Spirit. We just give you permission to come and do what you want to do. We give you this space. It's yours. Come and have your way. Let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth the same way that it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, I'm going to look at just a couple of verses, but you can open it up if it will make you feel better. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Bibles are a great thing to have. Here's what it says. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. 
The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. You know, Jesus' main message throughout all of the Gospels is that the kingdom of God had come. He repeats this over a hundred times throughout the Gospels. And probably even maybe like higher than a hundred, you know, like a little significantly higher than a hundred. I didn't count them all out. But he has these terms that are interchangeable when we look at them in the original language and what his meaning is. Uh, Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, heaven, eternal life, salvation. Those are all interchangeable terms for Jesus. When he's talking about one, he's talking about all of them. So when he says kingdom of God, it also means salvation in heaven. And there's a lot that's tangled up into this term that he's throwing out there. Uh, He gives us instructions on entering the kingdom of God. Uh, he tells us to pray for the kingdom to come. He, uh, his parables, almost always, it's like a broken record. He tells these nice elaborate stories and you know what the ending is? The kingdom of God has come. <laughs> like it's almost every time you're like, that was a great story. And then you had the same punchline, bro. You need to work on your punchlines a little bit more there. Uh, but when he did miracles, he called them signs of the kingdom coming, signs of the kingdom of God. His entire ministry was based on the kingdom of God coming into our world. So what is the kingdom of God? (laughs) Good question, right? Well, as kingdom implies, it is the rule and reign of God. Simple. God is in control, and that's good news. Hopefully it's good news to you, because God created everything. If the creator's not in control, we're, you know, we're, we're in a bad spot. But the creator's in control of everything. He knows everything. He, he lives outside of creation. He's not bound by the same things that we are. He's in charge from a different viewpoint, a different vantage point than we are. For instance, if I was in charge, which I'm not, which is great for all of us, right, Chris? It's really good. Like, you don't want that. But if I was in charge, I would be forced as the king to respond and react a whole lot. Because I don't know what's getting ready to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in 30 seconds. Hopefully nothing that I have to respond and react to right now. But like I would, have, I would be forced to adjust my plan all the time to the realities of life. The good news about God being in charge and being the creator is that he's not responding and reacting. What we see as changes, he sees as part of the original plan. Do you realize that what we see as road road bumps, he sees as things that he knew were going to happen and that he's already worked around. Like he already has a plan that encompasses everything that we see as difficulties. That's really good news because he's the king and he's been actively ruling yesterday and today and he'll still be ruling in a thousand years. That's not going to change. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. It's good news because it means that he's in control. And it's good news because, it, because he says that it's come at last. That little phrase means that it's been fulfilled. In that phrase, he's saying that everything that you've been looking for, all of the Old Testament, essentially, everything that's been talked about was fulfilled. Boom, mic drop, walk out of the room right there, Jesus. Like, that's good. But he doesn't stop there. He says, the kingdom of God is near. Now, a better translation of that 
if I'm going to critique people who get paid to do this, uh, is the kingdom of God is at hand. And what that means, that doesn't mean that it's like 11.59, almost midnight, but we can see the, the seconds ticking away. You know, it's almost here. It doesn't mean that it's like just through that glass window. If only that glass wasn't there, we could reach out and grab it. It doesn't even mean that like there's no barrier between us, but it's just too far away for me to grab a hold of. At hand in these verses means that you can literally reach out and touch it. That it's here. That it's fulfilled. And it's in our space. In our presence. With us. Right here and right now. Luke 17 echoes this. The Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, you won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. It's already here. But, and if you've read the Gospels, you're sitting there thinking, well, Stephen, I know that there is also future tense in how Jesus talks about the kingdom, and you would be correct in that. There are other verses where he talks in a future tense about the kingdom of God coming, like Mark 14, 25. I will not drink wine again until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God, until I do it. It's something that's going to happen. Now, when we think about this future tense of the kingdom of God, that's most common for us. What we think about is heaven, right? You know, the place where we become fat little babies and we float around playing on harps. Like, no, that's not at all what happens. But uh, that's what we think about is heaven, where we're all going to go when we get to heaven. You know, what a day of rejoicing that'll be. So that's the picture that we have in our mind of that future coming space that Jesus is talking about. So which is it? Is the kingdom of God here and now and breaking in and changing things? Or is the kingdom of God a day to come when Jesus is going to return and all's going to be made right and there will be no more sin and there will be no more death and there will be no more brokenness? Which one is it? Well, in the vineyard, we, we like to do win-wins. So we say both. <laughs> You're like, that is cheating. Well, we didn't come up with this. You know, there's other people that have come up with this. But it's called the now and the not yet of the kingdom. That it has broken in now and that things are changing, but that we are looking ahead and we're saying, Jesus, come back soon. Our world needs you to come and to change things once and for all and to bring once and for all your kingdom and your rule into our lives. Come and destroy sickness and death and sin once and for all. We're living in between those two things. We're living in both of those, the now and the not yet. And this is the reason that not everybody's healed when we pray for them. And we don't expect, we hope, but we don't actually expect that everybody's going to be healed because we're waiting for Jesus to return, and we know that that's a reality. And so it's the tension that we sit in. And it's the reason that suffering is still a reality in our world. But it's not a sign that Jesus doesn't have power. And that's really important. It's not saying that Jesus isn't still good or doesn't have power. It's as uh, Don Williams, a theologian and pastor, wrote, it's a sign that our world is still fallen, but it is being redeemed. Things are happening now, and yet not everything has been made right yet. And I think we feel this tension in our world as followers of Jesus, right? Because in 
this life, there's death. And we know in the kingdom of God, there's eternal life. In this age, there's both righteousness and evil. And sometimes they're living side by side in really like awkward and uncomfortable ways. And yet we know in the kingdom of God that, that evil will be defeated once and for all and that there will be no more and that God will be in control over everything. The New Testament says that Satan is the God of this age. And yet we know in the kingdom of God, Satan is going to be destroyed by God once and for all. We see both sides of this reality in our world and we're living in between in this tension of like, which one is it, Jesus? What are we seeing in our lives right now? How are we dealing with this? Evil is being defeated and we hold on to that strongly and yet death is still happening. Where, how do we live in this tension? We live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. It's the place that we are. We're not in the perfect time yet. So things remain broken. Not everyone's healed. Sin still happens. But that doesn't mean that we have less hope. It means that we have more hope for what Jesus is going to do because he still is moving. He has power and we want him to come so that all of this can be destroyed once and for all. You know, when Jesus preached that the kingdom had come, powerful stuff happened. Again, read the Gospels of this. Spend some time. You will be really encouraged by what it is that you you see. A few examples in Luke chapter 9. Jesus preaches that the kingdom of God had come. And then it says, and then he went and he healed all the sick people. And then in that same chapter, he sends out the disciples. So it's not just Jesus that gets this. And he says, go preach that the kingdom of God has come. And then go and heal all the sick, cast out all the demons, and see all diseases removed. Like, that's what he told them to do, not just him that was doing it. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, he tells us that if we believe that the kingdom of God has come, then God is going to provide all that we need for us that the kingdom uh, is a place of provision. In other passages, people are forgiven from their sins, sometimes from pretty big stuff that we would have a hard time forgiving ourselves. Demons are cast out. Crazy stuff happens when the kingdom of God is preached. Crazy stuff. Why? Because the kingdom of God has come, and it's at hand. It's right here where you can touch it. That's the reality of this theology that Jesus came to bring. George Ladd is one of the theological uh, fathers, I would say, of inaugurated eschatology and kingdom of God theology, which is all of this. And he wrote that the transition from this age to the age to come will not occur at a single point. The kingdom of God is future, but it's not only future. The kingdom is here now. There's a realm of spiritual blessing into which we may enter today and enjoy in part. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we also ask that God's will be done here and now today. It's breaking in right now. You want signs? Whenever somebody encounters Jesus and says that they want to live the rest of their life following Jesus, you know what happens? Lightning bolt, kingdom of God just broke in. When people are prayed for and something happens, they're healed, the Holy Spirit moves, boom, the kingdom of God has come. When when people hear the Holy Spirit speak to them for the first time or the thousandth time, 
the kingdom of God has come. When we join together and we pray and we worship and we glorify God, you know what happens? The kingdom's coming all over the place. It's breaking in to our world actively among us. This is our theology. It's what we believe as followers of Jesus. But what if we lived this out? What would that look like? You know, earlier this week, I I think I typed it out, something that poked me and that required me to spend a little bit of time uh, between me and Jesus. And I wrote this. The church seems to have a difficult, big C church, seems to have difficulty believing that other people's lives will be better by knowing Jesus. And here's why it poked at me. You could probably guess. Because as I wrote that, all of a sudden it hit. And it was like, yeah, and Stephen, you're a part of that. You're one of the ones that has a problem sometimes believing that other people's lives are going to be better because of Jesus. I mean, I know for me that it's changed everything. I could give you examples. I know ways that Jesus has spoken in my life, that he's met me when I was at my most vulnerable, that I've really encountered him deeply and personally, and that that's changed everything. But at times, I struggle to believe that that's going to be true for other people. And here's how I know it, because of my actions, or maybe lack of actions. Let me give you a uh, slightly painful example, to be honest. So about six weeks ago, we were at a church planning conference in Orlando, and uh, there was this breakout that was on living naturally supernatural lives. And uh, there were Brits that were leading it. So they had wonderful accents and everything was nice and happy. And they made sarcastic comments and made us all chuckle, you know, in the way that Brits can make Americans laugh. And like they did their thing and they talked about the kingdom of God and like breaking in. And, and they told these wonderful stories about living in LA and going on to street corners in Santa Monica and, and praying for people and the Holy Spirit coming uh, and it was really, really encouraging. It was really, really good. And I, as we were sitting there, I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me a little bit and was like, Stephen, you need to start creating a little bit more space for this sort of a thing. You need to create more space uh, to, for the Spirit to speak when I'm out and doing life and, and to be a little bit more willing to risk. And in that moment, I was like, yes, I want to. These stories are great. I want stories like these, uh, you know, like as, as we do uh, in moments like that. And one day later, we're at the Orlando airport, and I have never had a good experience at the Orlando airport. If this gets censored on YouTube because I just said something bad about the Orlando airport, I'm sorry. Uh, But I've never had a good experience there. It's like flights are always delayed. It's always just hectic and, and like claustrophobic and not not the best experience. So we're there and all the flights are delayed. And then our section of the terminal was only flights going to Boston and New York. So think about that. All these like Northeastern people who have had their flights delayed all day long. You know what that feels like. We're not the friendliest bunch on a happy day. You know, you put us where we're all cranky and it like the tension grows and everybody's like, you know, like we want to start punching walls and like it was bad. So like the tension's escalating or whatever and everybody's just sitting around and it's claustrophobic because nobody's gotten out. And (laughs) so this woman comes and sits next to me 
And she was chatty. She was from New York, and she started telling me about her week. And she was there with her uh, boyfriend and his parents, and they went to Disney World. Happiest place on earth. And then you go to the airport, and then it's not the happiest place anymore. And she just wants to get back to New York, to get back home, to live life, you know, like she has things that she wants to do. And as she's talking, she tells me, like, one of the reasons I want to get home is because uh, I'm having surgery next week. And I want to, like, just get stuff settled so I'm ready for that. And I'm sitting there, and I'm very aware at that point of what I said to Jesus the day before. I am painfully aware of what I said to Jesus one day before at that point. And I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit's like, this is, this is a, an opportunity. Like, risk a little bit. Step out. And I didn't do it at all. And I, I sat there, and I was like, everybody's angry around me. And there's too many people close by. And there's just all these reasons to say no. None of them are good. But there were all these reasons. And so I did the super cop-out thing, and I was like, well, I'll just pray in my head. Doesn't count. I mean, it, you know what I mean. Like, it, it doesn't completely count. And then I ran for our plane as soon as I could board it to just get away. I was like, I just, I can't right now. And left, and... <sighs> Jesus is good enough that me being stupid does not stop that woman from being covered by Jesus's love. I have no, no fears of that. I'm not stopping her from being okay. But what I stopped was me from being able to experience the kingdom of God breaking into our world. I stopped me from being able to see his love being poured out on somebody that he cares about. I stopped me from being able to be a part of that experience by being too nervous disobedient, if I'm being honest, to step out and to do what it was that Jesus was asking me to do in that moment. And I've realized over the past few weeks that I'm tired of this. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of living my life afraid and disobedient to the Holy Spirit asking me to do stuff. I'm tired of that being the story. And hearing other people tell stories and being like, I want to do that. And then Jesus gives me opportunities and I don't. I'm tired of this being what happens. And I think it's important for me to admit that I failed in this way because I'm kind of drawing a line in the sand. And I'm saying, I'm not letting this be something that stops me anymore. Yes, I did not do what Jesus asked me to do. But he forgives me and I'm stepping over and I'm going to start risking a little bit more. I'm ready to get over this a little bit because my theology says that the kingdom of God is breaking in. And my lived out practice needs to echo that in the same way. So yesterday I was with some friends and we were walking around and, uh, in, in this downtown area. And we stopped in a cheese shop because, you know, when in Rome, right? Like, who doesn't like cheese? So we go in. And it's a new cheese shop. And the people that owned it, it was just us and them. 
And they were super excited about their cheese and how they did it. And they made their own cheese in the basement. And he knew that it cost two cents per square uh, foot to be able to like make this cheese. Like he knew everything. It was like really cool. It was fun. He was like geeking out all over about it. Um, and uh, so we're talking and I'm asking questions and like just letting him like share what he's passionate about. It was really good. And I felt like at one point that the Holy Spirit was like, hey, Stephen, you should pray for them. And then, you know what happens? This type of stuff always happens. Somebody walks in, and I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to, like, force their customers that are going to pay them money to, like, walk out because they're uncomfortable. So I was like, okay. So we paid, and we walked out. And as soon as we, st- we got outside, I was like, hey, I want to come back, and I want to pray for them. So then I was accountable for it, right? Like, I had to do it. They knew that I had to do it. Um, and so we wasted 10 minutes. We came back. The other people were gone. They had bought their cheese. And we went in, and one of the owners was still there. And I went up, and I was like, hey, can I just pray for you that God will just bless your business? I'm sure that owning your own business during the economic realities that we have right now is, like, pretty stressful. Can I just pray for that? And she just kind of looked at me and smiled. and was like, sure. So I prayed for her and prayed that the Holy Spirit would come and that uh, he, w- he would move and take away some of their stress and pressure that they're feeling and just different things. And then said amen and looked up and, and she was smiling. She was like, thanks. That, like, I really appreciate that. Then we walked out and we went around, we went about our lives. In that moment, you know what happened? The kingdom of God broke in. It's as simple as that, friends. It doesn't mean that you have to see a dead man come out of a tomb, although that would be wicked cool, and if it happens, good for you. Like, sweet, that's awesome. Hopefully they're not like 300 years dead, because that would be gross and smelly, whatever. But, um, but it's just inviting the kingdom into our lives. And Jesus did this when he, 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 he taught about this. And then if you look at Matthew, or sorry, Mark 1, uh, 15, here's what it says afterwards. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins, believe the good news. And then one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net in the water. They fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them and said, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Immediately, they dropped what they were doing and they said yes. I think this morning, if I can be so bold, that Jesus is asking us to leave our proverbial nets and to say, okay, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And it may be just as simple as going up to the cheese shop guy and saying, can I pray for you? It might be more, who knows? But for us to be open and willing to let our theology actually match what we live out on the day-to-day of our lives. And so here's what I want to do. When Jesus preached the kingdom of God, he said two things, repent and believe. So I think that it's important before we do anything else to give space to repent. Because I think there might be some of us, I've done this obviously over this week, in the past few weeks, that need to say, I'm sorry. 
I haven't done what it is that you've asked me to do. Some of us that need to just get on our knees and say, Jesus, I repent for what it is that I've done. And so what I want to do, and you know, this is uh, self-awareness time, you know, this is between you and Jesus, but if you're sitting here and you're like, I want to see the kingdom of God come, I want to see Jesus move, and I know that I've, I've stopped him sometimes. I've said no when I should have said yes. If you can connect with that, I just simply want us to pray and give that up to Jesus. Acknowledge it so we can step over it and we can start to live a little bit differently. So if that's you, just right now in your seats, maybe you're like, I need to get on my knees. I don't know. Maybe you just want to put your hands out. Whatever it looks like for you, I just want to invite you to pray with me. Jesus, forgive us for saying no when you've asked us to say yes. Forgive us for allowing fear to be stronger than uh, the knowledge of your power. And honestly, I'll at least say for me, and you can echo this if you want to, forgive me for not loving others enough. For not loving them enough to risk and to step out and invite you to come. For not believing at times that you actually could change their situation. Forgive us for the times that we haven't believed that you could change our situations. Jesus, I just ask right now that you would come and breathe new life on us. Fill us with your spirit right now, Lord Jesus. God, we just ask for your kingdom to come. We, we've repented, and now we choose to believe. Believe what it is that you've said, and that you're moving in our world. Come, Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm.